About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one in your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever be first among you must first be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." Lord Jesus, as we turn to your word, come and speak to us in your name. Amen. So tonight's a little bit different in the sense that we are looking at uh, someone who, if you've been in the church a while, you'll have heard of quite a bit because he seems to, be, ha- he seems to have had a front seat to a lot of the great things that happened in the life of Jesus and uh, we're talking about James the Greater, as I said earlier, um, is the title given to him um, is because he was taller than James the Less. James the Less, who we're not talking about tonight, wrote the book of James and was the brother of Jesus. This James is one of the sons of thunder. Um, and uh, we don't know if he got that because of his father or his mother. We'll leave that for debate later. But... Um, likely a cousin of Jesus. So that's who we're looking at. And he really stands in history and speak, uh, his, the scriptures we'll look at this, morning, uh, this evening, really speak hope into two areas, maybe even three. The first is um, he gives hope to anyone who, when we take honest stock of ourselves, realize there's still work to be done and we need transformation. And his life tells a story that time in the presence of Jesus leads to transformation. So that's the first thing we'll see. The second is, is that if ever there was a disciple who was entitled, it was James and John and their mother. Um, and I love the boldness that we'll look at in the gospel reading that she just came up and said, hey, Jesus, nephew, let my son sit at your left and right because, you know, we're family. You know, that's kind of the subtext we'll look at in a moment. And, uh, and we see there's, a, again, 
how do you deal with entitlement? Here we see that there's a way that Jesus shows us of, of, that goes against the way of our culture to deal with it. And then thirdly, we'll look at the contrast of his death and, and see what comes from there. So let's dive in. So who is James the Great? As I said, he's likely to be a cousin of Jesus. His mother, Salome, not Salami, as Tom asked earlier today. Salome, she um, was likely... Mary's um, sister and was there at the crucifixion uh, with her. And what we know about James is that he's there. Um, he has an interesting moment at the very beginning in Luke chapter 9 where they come into a Samaritan uh, town and the Samaritans don't accept Jesus. And so James is the first to speak what he thinks. And what he thinks is quite different than Peter. Peter usually thinks of some kind of obscure theological lesson. James says, shall we call down fire on them? Right? Kind of practical. Let's send in the tanks. It's, if it's not our way, then let's obliterate them. And Jesus, hang on. Son of thunder, this is not the way. He's then with, uh, and then he gets in, into the inner circle. And so throughout the Gospels, certainly at the Synoptic Gospels, we hear of these three who are with Jesus, and it's Peter, James, and John. And Peter, James, and John are there when uh, the miracle happens where Jairus' daughter is brought back to life. Peter, James, and John are there at the transfiguration when they get a view of what Jesus will look like once he's ascended into heaven. They get a glimpse of the glory that is Jesus's, and they're enabled to share in that. And they're also with him at the agony in Gethsemane. So James is, you know, like I said, he's got the front row seats of all that's happening. And the great thing that we see, if, if it's a great study to do, to look at the progression of what James goes through to get to where he finishes up. And we see here that as the longer uh, he spends time with Jesus, the more he's shaped by the way Jesus would do things. And that's the first point. There's no shortcut in the kingdom of God. It takes time. And yes, time is precious. But to become like Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus. And there are no new ways to do it. It's the same old ways. It's to spend time in his word. It's to pray. And it's to be in community. And it takes time. And it takes love. And it takes the power of God to enable us to do that. So that's the first thing we learn here. The second one is this fascinating gospel reading. Um, and, and it starts off quite striking. We have... Um, the mother of the two sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. I don't, I don't know what it looked like, but were they coming sheepishly behind or she's like, I'm going to get your promotion, you're going to get benefits, the whole pack? I don't, probably not. Only we talk like that these days. But Jesus, she comes up to him, kneels before him, and asks him for something. I love that boldness. So we have permission to ask bold things of the living God. Absolutely. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. It is an awkward moment. 
where she asks her nephew if the boys could sit on either side of Jesus in the throne room in heaven. And it's incredible, isn't it? We think often um, that, that there was an order and like a holy kind of way that things were, you know, around Jesus because he was the son of God, did everything perfectly, you know. Um, but we see it's not like that. It's like any family gathering. There are agendas and there are different things going on. And what we see here is that um, she probably seized on what Jesus had said just before. And let me read to you from Matthew 19. And Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So every disciple gets a tribe. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. It's incredible, isn't it? Because some people just go to the practicalities. And I love people who think about the practicalities because I often miss it. I went to Germany for three and a half days a couple of weeks ago for my sister's wedding. And my sister Louise is a genius at practicalities. She had the seating plan worked out perfectly. And I kind of think, we have no idea, I'm, I may be wrong, but maybe the mother of James just started to work out the seating plan. Let's get practical. We'll make little name cards. You know, we'll have, you know, who's going to sit next to who? We've got to get this right. Do we have the tribe of Benjamin next to, you know, who knows? But that's probably what she was thinking, and she decided to seize the moment. Maybe they'll be on the other side. And so Jesus addresses all of them. And he indicates, he says, that he begins to say, you don't know what you're asking of me. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And the cup in Scripture is symbolic of all kinds of things. It can mean your destiny. It can mean blessing. It can mean disaster. It can mean salvation, the cup of salvation, which we celebrate every Sunday. Or it can be referenced to the cup of wrath. And here Jesus is referring to his forthcoming suffering. He knows what awaits, and he doesn't wish it on those he loves. And so he says, do you know what you ask of me? Are you able to drink this? You will, and they say, yes, yes, we're able. They thought they had to qualify, you know. A rite of passage amongst some first year university. Can you drink this? Yes, I can. Let me show you. You know, this is not that. This is an entirely different order of things. And Jesus says to them, yes, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared for my Father. And then he knows what's going on, because imagine being a part of the other 10. These guys, again, the sons of, not only they have bad tempers, but they're like social, you know, they're trying to get their place in society like they, you know, in a, in a way that isn't, that it is, goes against convention. So when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him. He said, come. And he tells us the great lesson that James is heralded for, we just prayed about, for leaders. 
And this is what he says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them. They celebrate that they're in charge and that they're to be served. But Jesus carries on. It shall not be among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's a Christian principle that applies not in every area of life. And the church, that in order to be great, you must become the least. In order to go up, you must go down. In order to seek promotion, you must be willing to do what the least does. It's, it's an incredible thing. And this is what, I don't know if that moment was the moment where it really kind of reinforced in the disciples that this is what it looks like, because suddenly things begin to get contrasted. A servant was a hired worker who maintained the master's household. But the type of slavery that Jesus is referring to, scholars say, is the type of person who's forced into this service. No options. And so here, what does it look like to be in Christian leadership? It's a very confusing thing if you Google that because you get all kinds of examples of people who are doing things. But what does leadership really look like? It's serving the people. It's putting your needs last and being amongst the people available to them and serving them, and not just serving them like through gritted teeth, but serving them well. Serving them well where there's actually a sense that, oh, they actually loved doing this. It's quite striking, isn't it? Quite humbly. That's in the church, but what about in the world? What about at work? What about friends, neighbors? family with all those dynamics. The principle still holds. We're called to serve. That we would become the least in order that we might see great things happen. And this may be, I'm no expert, but we've learned in COVID that it's easy to broadcast all of the messages. And instead of being here tonight, you could be watching the best sermon online from any country. But the Christian faith isn't about just getting excellent content. It's about coming together as community. It's a great stopgap until, you know, safeguards are put in place. But to be a believer in Jesus and following the pattern of Jesus is to be in community that as we spend time with him and with each other, our lives are changed. And we're loved. I was in, um, I visited our new location this morning. Very exciting. I went to worship with Redeemer Bible Church. And uh, they interviewed me and they're like, I stood out because I was the only one in a collar and they kept asking, what do we call you, Father? I said, no, uh, whatever you want, just don't call me Davey. It's kind of not a nickname I like, but... Feel free to call me that. I won't correct you. 
Um, and at the end, someone came up and said, did you really study theology at Oxford? I said, yeah. I said, why do you do that? I said, honestly, I wasn't sure if God called me. So I literally thought of the most difficult place for someone with my grades to get in. And said, Jesus, here you go. And I got in. They're like, wow. And they said, were there, were there many liberals there? You know, what, what was it like in that kind of theological context? I said, yeah, there's at least one, and he was, he was awful. I said, really, what was he like? So he sat at the back of the class. He had a chip on his shoulder, and he just wanted to ask questions that would infuriate everyone. He said, well, what did you do with him? I said, oh, that was me. <laughs> and they said, well, what did they do with you? I said, they loved me, and they served me, and they led me to a place where I met the love of Jesus. I said, and then what happened? And then once I met Jesus, my life just began to change. And it was only afterwards that I realized that my theology was different because I'd, I'd actually met him and spent time with him. So, oh, that's different. I said, yeah, I think that's the way. And then they had a bunch of other questions I didn't have the answer to. But, and I think that's, that's the thing. If we go in low... we're able to survive the, the, the opinions of people who, that might be different from ours without worrying about having to respond in a strong way because everyone's got an opinion. But what we see here in the Scriptures, and what Jesus says here, this great lesson of how to get under the surface of what makes people feel like they have a right to something, to a cause, or to do act a certain way, is that the only way to go against it is to love. You could be indignant, and you could rake them through the coals and tell them how they're disqualified as a disciple. Jesus could have done that, and he could have even said that to his aunt, but he doesn't. He says he calls them together, and he uses it as a moment to strengthen the community. So that's the second thing, serve to go low. That's what this encounter, which is kind of a, 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 an interesting one, isn't it? And then we get to this crazy moment in Acts 12. If you turn with me to your bulletin, it, it's, it's the church, we're in Jerusalem all of a sudden, and the church is buzzing. The church has somewhere from 700 to 1,000 people. Just think about it as if there were 25 pastorates meeting, all right? The news about what God has been doing amongst the Gentiles, that, that God would jump across racial lines, is just, I mean, people are trying to get their heads around it. It's incredible. And then no one sees what's coming. And something happens that no one expects. Acts 12, verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands. He laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. What's going on there? James and Peter are arrested. They're picked up. We don't know what the charge was, but they're, they're picked up. And the church goes from an incredible high to an incredible place of uncertainty. If this can happen to the family of Jesus, like he was literally his cousin, what does that mean to the rest of us? And so there's all kinds of turmoil. And that some of the, the two most influential men in the church at that time are about to be taken from them. 
And the question that they face is, what will happen with this adversity? What will come of this? I mean, and that's the question we all face, isn't it, when we're going through difficult times? I was asked by someone, I didn't expect the, the question, but they asked me, do you believe everything happens for a reason? I said, I don't know. <laughs> there's a lot of things that happen, a lot of things that happened this morning. Um, but I said, I know there's enough chaos that I don't know if I could say that everything happens for a reason. But I tell you what, my deeper belief is that all things can be redeemed, that there is nothing beyond the redemptive reach of Jesus and that kind of stopped, that worked, and the discussion moved on. When we suffer or experience hardship or pain, when life hits us, then what, right? So, so far tonight, just a couple of thoughts before we dive deeper. Time with Jesus changes us for the better. If we go low, if we follow the example of the kingdom, that in order to be promoted, we need to go lower. The way up is down. To serve, not to be served. And to serve well is the way to cut across the most, what could potentially be the most devastating arguments. Had Jesus handled the discussion after who can sit on your left and right, it could have gone bad. It could have gone very badly for the disciples. But Jesus cuts through the indignation by bringing them together and showing them what true community looks like. And then we're here in this uncertain time in Acts, and what we see here is this incredible contrast between God and Herod. And that's the big thing here. This is, this is what Acts jumps into. It's the last time we hear about the church in Jerusalem before Paul really hits the stage and before P Peter is launched in. Peter's already been in prison twice at this point. God's already gotten him out. So I imagine Peter's a bit more cool. But James has no chance. And he's, he's immediately killed with the sword. And when Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he then picks up Peter. But it happens during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so he's got to be in a, in a jail cell. So who is Herod? Herod is, is the grandson of Herod Agrippa, who was the king when Jesus was born. And, but his play dates when he was an infant, all of a sudden, were with the elite of Rome. And so that's how he gets the job. So he gets promoted through the network. So who do your kids play with? Yeah, it might serve you well, you know. Um, but what we learn about Herod is that he despised minorities that threatened to disrupt the rule of Rome. So he tried to cozy up with the Jewish people as best he could by becoming a devout lawkeeper. And he does it by persecuting the followers of Jesus. Herod goes down in history as someone who wants to glorify himself and to put a limit on Christianity because Christianity is so subversive to Rome. And so what is it we see here why, why look at the death of James and what, what hope is there to be seen? It says at the very last, verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The, the encouragement here is that there are seasons 
where people or movements, and we see it globally even today, will lay violent hands against the church and will try to eliminate Christianity. Luckily, today, that is not the case. We have, an off, we have one officer, but we're meeting in the light of day. We're not for fear of our safety. I met someone in London once who came to our church, and I said, when did you come to faith? She was from Lithuania. She said, I came to faith during uh, Soviet rule. And I said, well, what was that like? Oh, I said, it was kind of weird because we worshiped at 3.30 in the morning. I said, oh, and what were your meetings like? They were amazing. I said, what happened? God answered all our prayers. How did you study the Bible? I said, well, we had to memorize it because we had one Bible to share amongst 250 people. And we never knew when something would happen. I said, well, what's your life like now? He said, oh, you know, it's great. I'd much rather, she said, those were amazing times, but it's much better to worship without fear because it's the promise that was said of Jesus that people who followed him would be able to worship him without fear. It's incredible, isn't it? But even today, there are people who worship and the church where they live has been gripped by violent hands. And what we see is there's a mystery. Why was James spared, not spared and Peter was spared? We don't know. What we do know is that he ended well. He ended well. And he's remembered as someone who began as a hothead who wanted to eliminate the opposition to someone who, who had authority amongst the people because he served well, even though he was one of the 12. He didn't let that status change what he did, and he served the people. What we see here, though, as I close, is that the church prayed earnestly. And so, as I finish, I just want to encourage us, especially the season that we're in. We'll share a bit more about that in the announcements. We're about to do something. Many of us have moved houses. I've done it a number of times. It's the worst thing ever. Because I hate boxing things up. I always lose things and, you know, all that stuff. But moving a church is different. It's, it's, a, it's a different order. You can't really compare it to moving house. But the Lord has us in a season. We're about to physically move where we worship. And we're going to be doing it a little bit up the road at Redeemer Bible Church. And uh, they're really excited to have us. We're really excited to go. It's great. And we need earnest prayer. And so I really want to encourage you that if your prayer life has gone stale, that's okay. It happens. But this would be a great season to get it unstale. And there are a number of tools we have at our disposal. Uh, we've mentioned before the order of uh, a way of praying the office that's uh, up the back on the way out. Or you can meet and talk to Chris, meet with me, love to talk. It's literally why we're here. We would love to serve you in that way. But we would ask you to be praying for St. Bart's as we move to this new location because we can handle all of the logistics really well. But if we have everything lined up, the building, the supplies, the people, the money, and we don't have the presence of God, we don't have anything. And what we've learned, what you've learned long before I came, is that if you have the presence of God and you're lacking everything else, 
you have everything you need. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this example of James. Thank you for that promise that as we spend time with you, we'll be transformed into your likeness. And even now, Lord, we offer you ourselves. We offer you our day today that has happened and the week that lies ahead. And we ask that you would come and move and meet with us that we might become more like you. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for all leaders. We pray for the leaders in your church, our Bishop Philip, and all in positions of authority throughout Dallas and beyond. And we pray that you would move powerfully, that they might serve well. Lord, in your mercy, we lift you, Lord, um, Central Lutheran, and we thank you for them. We thank you for the way that they have hosted us here over these last five years, and we pray your blessing on them. Lord, in your mercy, we also lift you Redeemer Bible Church, and we thank you for their invitation to join them at their location, and we ask that you would be with us that as we move, what is it, maybe a quarter mile up the road, that the whole move would be marked with your presence and with your peace. Lord, in your mercy, Lord Jesus, would you enable us to serve well? Lord Jesus, when we find ourselves in conversation with people with differing opinions, Enable us to listen well. Enable us to love well. That your presence might be made known in those conversations. Lord, in your mercy. Finally, Heavenly Father, we pray for your church that is persecuted around the world. And we pray, Jesus, that you would fill their hearts with an abounding hope that they would be able at some point to worship you without fear. Guide, protect, and bless them, we pray. Lord, in your mercy, accept these prayers, Heavenly Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.